Priscilla and Aquila that are uh, left behind in a different city. And then you have Apollos who is still traveling around also. It's kind of a cool portion of Acts because you kind of get this almost like when you're watching a movie and it shows like this is what they're doing and this is what they're doing and this is what all these things are going on. And that's the kind of the view we get here in Acts right now. You have all these people serving the Lord, going out and doing different stuff, and, and God's using it for great things. As we pick up today in Acts chapter 19, there's a lot of, um, I think, cool insight into what God is doing and how can we be a part of it. And really, at the end of the day, that's all I want, I want to talk about today is essentially a day in the life of God's servant. And, and we'll talk more about that and, and why we called it that. But if you wouldn't mind, in Acts chapter 19, in verse 1, it says this, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, and Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, there he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul, excuse me, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about twelve men in all. And there's a lot, obviously, to talk about from chapter 19. And this week, as I was looking through it and reviewing it, I thought it would be cool to be able to talk about the Holy Spirit and how He works in our hearts and kind of weave it through in this particular interaction. Uh, but the more time that I spent, the more that I realized that that really wouldn't be possible in, in one teaching. So just for uh, full disclosure, this morning we're not going to talk about too much about the Holy Spirit and His ministry. Obviously, that's very important in our hearts and in our lives. But we're going to talk about more about the individuals that were involved. And then next week, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit and what He was doing in, uh, this, in this motion, this gathering, and how we can receive the Spirit into our life and that power and, and uh, dynamic to move forward in what God has called us to do. But for today, I just want to look at really, uh, like we said before, a day in the life of the servant of God. And I want to be careful because if you're like me, there's been a lot of teachings over the years and from people with good intentions, and they, they look at a character like Paul, or they look at Jesus, or they look at different characters in the Bible, and they say, this is what a servant of God is, to which we say, oh, amen, absolutely. And then they, the next conclusion sometimes can be, this is what I need to do. And that's where we're going to deviate a little bit this morning. Because even though we want maybe to be like Paul or like Jesus, in other words, we're walking with the Lord and we're involved in his ministry, we don't have to do everything that they did. Uh, I've heard, uh, I, I listen to podcasts now and again, and um, I heard a podcast in a very genuine person, very uh, earnest for the Lord, love the Lord. And the, the end of the podcast was essentially that we should all live like Paul did. And we should move around, and we should just be on the move. And, and, and if you have the word in you, then you need to be spreading it, and it can't be in one place. And, and I kind of thought to myself, I appreciate the zeal. That's, it's a wonderful zeal. But where did Paul visit? Churches, <laughs> right? He started churches, local gatherings where people were there. And I'm not trying to mock the person in this podcast. I think they had a very genuine heart. But, but the idea that all of us have to fit the same mold all of us need to be homeless like Jesus. How can you show hospitality if you're homeless? When we're called to, elders of a church are called to be given, literally addicted to hospitality. How do we have a local gathering where Jesus is expressed if we're all on the move? 
So while I appreciate the zeal for the idea that all of us are to serve God to the, to the extent that he's called us, 100%, today we're not going to look at here's the model of exactly what a servant does, but more along the lines of here's the heart of a servant of God. Because the heart of a servant will always lead to the day of the servant. Does that make sense? When our hearts are set towards the Lord and when we're moving towards him and we're uh, humbly seeking him in these things, we don't have to worry about the what's and the when's so much. That'll come. We just need to be ensuring that we are open to what God is doing. So that's kind of what I want to look at today as we go through this. Just talk about how God and how these believers, that, uh, excuse me, how Paul and how these believers that he meets and their interaction and glean a few things for us so we can kind of move forward in God's work for us. Amen? Amen. So if you wouldn't mind looking back there in Acts chapter 19. So we have this Apollos is at Corinth. And Paul is now pastor of the inland country, and he's in Ephesus. And there he found some disciples, and not to make a mountain out of a molehill, but first and foremost, it's pretty awesome. Number one, the thing that Paul did is he was available for the work. He was available to go inland. He was available to go to Ephesus. He started the church at Corinth. Maybe if you remember, he was there for 18 months. It's in Corinth where the Lord, and we covered this a few weeks ago, but where the Lord appears to him and says, don't be scared anymore. I have many people in this city. Remember up until Corinth, when he goes through Iconium and, and you know, uh, all these different cities, he either gets beat or he goes to jail or he just, just rough things happen to him. And he finally comes to Corinth, and the Lord comforts him. And, and I think that's worthwhile to consider, that number one, he was available to go to Corinth, but he still needed comfort in Corinth. So a lot of times in our lives, just that, uh, that willingness, that availability will bring us to where we need to go, even if we don't feel like we can handle it, but God is right there to encourage us. But we talked about that quite a bit a few weeks ago. But number one thing is availability. We have to decide for ourselves are we available for God's work? And what I mean by this is just the little phraseology there, maybe because I'm too neurotic or something, but the little phrases in the Bible, those are what I find the most interesting. And that he found the disciples, and we don't know how he found them. You know, were they just like waiting in the gates of the city? Were they holding a sign at the airport? You know, how is it that they... That he found them. Was it a rumor? They're like, oh, those weirdos over there, they're meeting in the house. The way, was it the fact that he was seeking for them? Did the Holy Spirit speak to him and he received a, a word of knowledge? How did he find them? We have no idea. But the fact of the matter was, just by simply being available to go to Ephesus, be moved to the Holy Spirit, he found them. It doesn't say that he searched for them. It doesn't say they searched for him. It doesn't say that there was a kiosk that they, they met up on. It does No, he just found them. And I think it's important, number one, are we available to find people, to find God's people, to find God's work? You know, this is a more specific idea. Because being involved with people is really hard, typically. I don't know about you, it's much easier to just stick with the folks we know, isn't it? You know, we're, we're just like that. We, we sit in the same place every Sunday. We sit next to the same people every Sunday. You know, we, we go to, I don't know about you, if I go to a restaurant... I order the same thing. In fact, Dana asked me that the other day. She goes, when you go to a restaurant, do you order the same thing? I go, I do, every single time. Because the fear of getting a bad meal for $15 is great enough that I will just eat the same thing every single time. You know, but the, you know, it it's, it's, can be difficult to hang out with disciples. It can be difficult to be available for that because all of us, we're messy and we're broken and we don't all see things the same way. 
which is okay. We don't all think the same way. We don't all consider the same way. We don't all esteem the, things, the same things valuable. We may have good, generic gospel values, but we don't all see the same thing the same way. And so being involved with people can be very, a very difficult and a, and a messy thing. It's much easier to sit on our couches. But through this availability, he meets people that have a need. And their need is, is he comes to them, and it's important to note that he calls them both disciples, that Luke, as he's writing through the Holy Spirit, recording for us what happened. First, he calls these people disciples. And then Paul, when he's interacting with them, he's, he asks them, when you believed, what did you get baptized in? Or how were you baptized? So these are believers, and we'll get more on that later because it's very important. These are believers that he comes to, and they say, and I don't know why it cracks me up every time, but he says, did you receive the Spirit when you got saved? And they're like, we don't even know if there is a Holy Spirit. We, don't, we have no idea what you're talking about. Like, what, what is this? And they say, we got, he goes, How did you, what were you baptized into? And they say, oh, we got the baptism of John. And it's, it can be a difficult thing and, uh, to ask people. Here's the thing. Let me, let me make this disclaimer. Nobody's saying be nosy or rude. We're not saying that. But there are opportunities when we're dialoguing with people. Part of being available is being available for real talk. It's fine. It's, you know, small talk is great. The sports teams, uh, the weather, that's all great stuff. There's, there's no, we're not saying we should never relate on light topics. But the willingness to come in, I mean, that's a pretty personal question. If you were to transfer that question to our society, that's a personal question, right? How did you get baptized? In our society, a lot of times, that's like a threat almost. Like, so, what are you trying to say? Who do you think you are? Why would you ask me that? We immediately assume that you have something that you're going to accuse me of or that you, that you don't like about what I did or whatever it is. So again, just to make the illustration, it can be really messy to interact with people. But by the sheer willingness to be or to interact with people, this amazing blessing comes through it, right? He asks them, hey, did you receive the Spirit? They say, no, we didn't. We didn't know there was a Spirit. A, a God. We didn't know there was God's Spirit. And he says, hey, let me baptize you. They say, we're in. And he, and he explains what John's baptism is. He explains the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or the water baptism in the name of Jesus. And then he baptizes them, and he lays hands on them, and they receive the Spirit of God. And we'll talk more about that, that section and that part of it. Uh, next week as far as the kind of the mechanics. I don't want to reduce it to mechanics, but kind of the nuts and bolts of what the Scripture gives us about who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in his life. But for now, the first part of the day in the life of God's servant, it doesn't have to be going to Ephesus or being on the road all the time. It's just being available. Being available for whatever God has for you. If you're going to get up tomorrow morning and you're going to raise children or you're going to go to work or you're going to do this, are you available for the Holy Spirit to move in that time, to work in that time? Are we open to that? Are we ones that are saying, well, when we get up and we say, Lord, I want to be part of your kingdom and what you're involved in. And, and, then, and then allowing him to do that in our lives, whether it's people speaking to us or us speaking to people. Are we available uh, for what God has? There are society, it's really interesting right now, and I think just human beings in general, we're all very similar in the sense. It's so easy just to kind of retract, especially with a lot of the... the uh, COVID ramifications and everything that's going on with that, it becomes so easy just to retract into ourselves and just to kind of get away and to realize like, wow, this, you know, I haven't had drama this whole week and it, or whatever it might be. But that's not what God is doing. And so we have opportunity every day, regardless of our 
of our job or our calling or our activities, whatever description you'd like to use, we have the opportunity every day to be involved and to be available for what God is doing. And it's something great. If you're a mom and you're homeschooling or you're picking up your kids from school, it can be that talk after school on the way home. Uh, you know, for me and my kids, a lot of times we talk on the way home from Thursday night prayer meeting. Uh, we've had amazing talks. Uh, my daughter, um, Ava, got saved driving home from Thursday night, you know, when she was a couple years ago. And she was just asking me about, you know, who Jesus is and, and just whatever, asking us about gospel stuff. And, and so we talked about it. We talked about the gospel. And she said, yeah, I want to receive the Lord. And I said, and she goes, how do I do that? I said, well, what do you want? She goes, I, just, I want him to forgive me and save me. I said, you should ask him. And she goes, okay, I will. So she prayed in the back of our van as we're driving up Pacific Avenue, you know, and receives Jesus as her Savior. It wasn't coerced, wasn't pushed, didn't try to get it out of her or anything like that. And she just did it by simply driving home. So there's, there's, we have never, you've never had a time in your life that didn't matter. There was never a time where you were doing something and God couldn't have moved in your heart. Maybe he did or maybe he didn't. I'm not saying every minute somebody better get saved. I'm just saying, are we available for what God has for us? Are we willing to involve ourselves in the messy? You know, what if Paul had said, hey, have you received the Spirit? And they're like, hey, we've got our own thing going. Who do you think you are? You just show up and you're like, you know? It, it takes a little bit of bravery. It takes a little bit of trusting the Lord to move out and to be able to have dialogue and be open for, for deeper dialogue. When someone says, you know, how are you doing and so forth. There's a, by illustration, there's a YouTube uh, channel I really like to watch. I can't remember uh, this woman's last name, but her first name is Troyava. I can't spell that. And uh, she's out of San Diego, and she does, um, basically just interviews strangers all day. It's like the best job in the world. I'm like, how do I get in on this? But essentially, she just interviews strangers all day long. And so there's a park in San Diego, and she just has a microphone set up there. And she just asks them questions, questions like... um, well, one, for example, it's uh, what it's, it, and this was actually pretty interesting. So she sets the microphone, the camera's back here, the microphone's in front. So people are facing away from her and she films them as they talk into the microphone from the backside. And she and they, she asks, what's the thing you're most ashamed of in your life? And so then they have the, the opportunity, if they want to, they answer. And if they want to, they can turn around and, and dialogue about it. If they don't, they just answer the question and they just walk away. And uh, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. Or, or another question is, you know, what's your greatest secret? Another one that she does is, what's the, what is the, uh, the hardest thing anybody's ever said to you? Uh, another one, she's just all these really deep questions. And really through watching this YouTube uh, channel, what you find out is that we're all the same in a lot of ways. Like every one of us have been broken by someone else. And every one of us have broken other people. It's just, it's the human experience. And, it, it can, and by just learning about, being human and being sinners and how things work, it's pretty amazing how that can help us to, to dialogue and be helpful to one another. And I just bring that up because every person that we interact with has difficulties, has secrets, has shame, has guilt, has excitement, has letdown. Every single person. And for, if, if we're willing, as spirit-filled Christians... Just to be honest, how are you doing? What's going on? And to hear people out, what we're going to find is we're going to make a huge impact for the kingdom. Yeah. Just being involved and just loving people. Not trying to set everybody straight, 
but it's loving people and then giving people the gospel, willing to uh, interact with people and, and ask as God leads, <laughs> not be nosy, but as God leads, ask difficult questions and be involved with them. So that's the first thing in being a day in a life in the servant of God is being available and, and, uh, and hearing, being willing to hear what God has to say to us. Verse 2 says this, And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And this is another thing I, I want to point out, that as a, as a servant of God, these guys are labeled as disciples. What's a disciple? Someone who's trying to be like their master, right? So these are people that are trying to be like Jesus. They don't understand everything about Jesus. They don't understand excuse me, the filling of the Holy Spirit. They don't understand the power that God has for them. They don't understand any of that, but they're disciples anyway. And he says, when you believe. So we know that these are believers in Jesus Christ. And so what's really important is that you don't have to know everything. You really don't. Have you ever felt pressured? You ever watched like a Kent Hovind video or like a Ken Ham video? I'm not even putting those guys down. They're, they're creationists, you know? Have you ever watched one of those videos and thought to yourself, I can't remember all this? <laughs> and, and you think like, if I was in a situation and I was talking to an atheist, I would break. 4,400 years ago, there was a flood because of the barrier reef and the ice rings. And, da, 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 da. and you think to yourself like, I can't remember that. I, can't, I, don't, even, I, I don't know if I can reference that in a conversation. In fact, I get really nervous, and I get really scared, and I start to forget things that I've watched in the past. And my point is this. Each one of us has a different ministry, and they're not all the same. And not only that, but you don't have to know everything as a Christian. You know, I've heard people say, that, uh, uh, people that mean very well, and perhaps you have too. One of the big ones is the age of the earth. Are you a new earth or a young earth? Not a flat earth. We can unilaterally reject that, but are you a... Are you a new earth or are you a, a, an old earth guy? Which, which are you? And, and, and people meaning well because they love truth, they, they love Jesus, and they love disciples will say things, and I've heard it said too, maybe you have also, where they say, say something like, if you don't believe that the earth is about 10,000 years old, then you really can't be saved because you're rejecting the gospel. And you're like, uh, can we roll that back a second? Like, I wasn't there, so I don't really know when it was. And, but I have this pamphlet right here that says that death came in by Adam, and so if the, if the world is millions of years old and dinosaurs died a million years ago, then that means that, that you're saying that they died before Adam, and so Adam, that couldn't be because Adam brought death. And you're like, well, that's a reasonable argument, but I, I just don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. Like, what about the fact that the earth is made from stardust? And it, Did God create it in time, in the middle, or did he create it from the beginning? Or did he create, there's a million things that we don't know. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how old the earth is. It can be interesting, and it can be fun to study, but I've never met an unbeliever where you sat down and you were like, let me tell you how old the earth was. And they're like, Jesus is Lord. I don't know what I've been doing all this time. You know, we have to be careful. We don't have to know everything. I love the fact, you know Paul's commentary in Hebrews 11? What does Paul say about the creation of the world? He says, by faith, we understand that God framed the world. The end. That's it. Again, I'm not mocking if you want to study those things. That's not my heart to mock it. I'm just saying, if you don't know how the, the, the earth is, it's okay. If you don't know how to be a young earth or an older person, it's okay. If you don't know who the Nephilim are, it's okay. If you don't know who Cain married, it's okay. 
If you don't know who, you know, uh, Nimrod is and how the religion that he started in Babylon, the ancient history and the, the crescent circle in the first, it's okay. It's okay. Because you're probably not called to know it. We don't have to be other people and know everything. These people were just like, we're following Jesus. All we know about Jesus right now is that he's the Messiah and he takes away the sins of the world. Right? That's, that was the baptism of John. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They showed up at the Jordan. They got baptized and they're just like, we're following Jesus. This is what we're doing. We're repenting of our own life and now we're following Jesus. It's okay to not know everything. So we can just take like a deep breath and move on with our lives. You know, there's a guy I like to read. His name's John F. Walvrude. And Walvrude, he has a book, and it's about that big. And I have not read it all. And, but it's the title is, Every Prophecy in the Bible and How It Relates to Every Other Prophecy in the Bible. And this guy is so intellectual and so intelligent. He was the president of like the Dallas Seminary for like 30 years. He taught there. I mean, this is one of those guys that you're, just, you're like, how do you, you know, goes to bed at like 12 at night, gets up at 4 in the morning, writes books, teaches classes, all that. And the cool thing is he's so smart and he was so gifted by God to do something. I could never write a book, how the intersecting points of all the prophecies. It reminds me of like, you ever watch like those where they're trying to find a killer on TV or something, like they have like the pins with the, with the string everywhere? It's like that times a million. I could never do that. I don't have that kind of intellect. But that was John Walvrood's calling, was to write things to help people like me, and maybe you, I don't know, that aren't that smart, and could read that and go, this is amazing. You know, C.S. Lewis was mocked by his contemporaries because he wrote for, to, for, so that people like us could read? It's pretty incredible. So those guys, the Lewises, the Walvrudes, and many, many, many others, they had their giftings and they had their callings. I am not called to be John Walvrood. I'd be a terrible John Walvrood. If I was the president of a Bible college, I'd be like, yeah, I don't know, you guys should study. We can have a group session later and talk about it. Like, do your thing. But no, that John Walvrood said, this is how we're going to break up classes and this is how we're going to do it. And I'm going to write this book and then, and then people can read it and they can understand these things. So he has a calling to write the books. And if we want to, if God calls us to, we have the calling to read them and disseminate that information to the people that we know, if that's God's calling on your life. God's calling on your life could be to go to just give the gospel and dig a well somewhere. God's calling on your life could be to just go to a job every day and just be faithful and to love Jesus and tell, Jesus, tell people about Jesus when you have opportunity. But it's that simple ability and that simple calling and, and being just be at peace. The servant, a day in the life of the servant of the Lord, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to be the best at everything. You just have to do what God's called you to do and to walk in that if you're going to be fruitful. If you don't mind, let's turn over to another illustrative verse here in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. There's a lot of great verses uh, that talk about these types of things. For example, in um, uh, Philippians 3 and also in Galatians 6, uh, there's these ideas that, and, and in Thessalonians, over and over again, the idea is just, hey, work with your hands. Not, I'm not saying you literally can only have a job where you work with your hands. But work with your hands and then wait for Jesus to come back and live a quiet and a peaceable life. 
all over the, the places. This idea, not of everybody be Paul or everybody be homeless like Jesus or everybody do what Philip and his four prophesying daughters do or everybody do this. There's no everybody. You do what God has called you to do. And only you know that. You can talk to your brethren and get advice and, hey, do you think this is a good idea? And people that you trust and those are, but only you know the call of God on your life. And your call is not my call and my call is not your call. And it, we're just individuals that God has gifted in different ways and called us to be part of different things. If you love to study the nitty gritty of the Bible, that's great. If you're like, ah, man, it's so hard for me to read. I do want to spend time with the Lord. I'm going to pursue that. But I'm not the most smart person in the world. I think I'm just going to go out and help these people, whatever, move. Help these people with their garden. Help these people and just tell them the love of Christ. That's perfectly legitimate. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 8, he says this. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is a result, uh, and not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So first and foremost, this might seem a little out of context we were just talking about, but I think it's important. We got saved by the grace of God through faith. So no, no works. No, no works saved us. That's, I, I don't think we can ever say that enough. Baptism didn't save us. Being a disciple didn't save us. Only the fact that God favors you and loves you and offered up his son, Jesus Christ, for your sin, judged him on the cross and raised him from the dead. We trusted that and said, yes, I need that forgiveness, if that's you today. And he forgave you of your sin, past, present, and future. You literally, your sin, the word the Bible uses is imputed. It means to deposit into your account. Your sin is no longer imputed to you anymore because Jesus paid for it. That's really important. But the second part of that is this. There's something new that we've been called to. We were living to our own devices, our own urges, our own desires. But God has saved us by grace, through faith, no works. But then he says, he goes on, he says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what happened was, we talked about this for our Easter service. If you remember, when Christ rose again from the dead, there was this this event that occurred that for every believer, Romans chapter 6, that when we trusted in Jesus, we're buried with him, baptized into his death, and then we raised, we're raised with him and we live his same resurrection life because now we're considered in Christ. So our sins are forgiven, we're now in Christ. But what happened is that new creation in Christ, that, that new nature that we now take part of, if we and when we walk in this new nature, there is a workmanship that God's doing. In the world where there is, you may be familiar with it, poema, his artisanship, it's, it's art. Not just like a concrete prison building, but an actual, something beautiful. Something that, you know, art is something that pulls emotion. It pulls, it has a, a weight to it, right? Good art, you look at it and it, it brings something out of you. It, a, a, a poetry or a music or even a sunset and you look at it and it creates a, like a longing almost. There's a weightiness to it. And he says, that's what I'm doing. He says, you, when you get saved and you're now part of this new creation in Christ and when we're walking in that, he says, I'm doing something. I'm making a poem. I'm making a song. I'm making uh, an, a, a picture something glorious, something weighty, something effectual. And he says, and you're part of that. And he says, your part in it is good works. And you go, oh, I knew it. Good works had to come in somewhere. No, that good works are merely, he says, that he ordained beforehand or prepared beforehand 
for us to walk in. Isn't that so stress-free? Doesn't that just dial it back a second where you're like, all of a sudden I don't have to get up in the morning? Have you ever been like anxious about something? A, a big decision? A small decision? And you you know, should I move here? Should I not move here? Should I take this job? Should I not take this job? Should I, you know... Feed my children today? Should, no, I'm just kidding. But you know, it's like, <laughs> but you know, you, you get you get anxious about some decision, and you and the thing is, why do we get fearful about decisions? Typically, for me, and forgive me if I forget a reason, but typically we can be fearful because we don't want to do the wrong thing. But why don't we want to do the wrong thing? Sometimes it's like a selfish fear. I don't want to do the wrong thing because I don't want anything bad to happen to me, which is reasonable. I'm not minimizing that. Sometimes we have fear because we say, I don't want to do something wrong in front of God, and, and he'll punish me, which is an invalid reason. Or we, or we can just be fearful, and this is probably the most righteous of them all, uh, I, I don't want to let God down. I, I, don't, I don't want to ignore what he has to say to me. But see, when we start looking at like things like Philippians 3, that if, if we're walking with the Lord and, and, and we're, not, we're unaware, he tells us, he'll show us even this. Like when, we, when we're not doing what we ought to do or there's something he wants for us, the scripture promises that he will show us what it is he wants us to do. See, these are works that he prepared beforehand. He got them all ready. He's really smart. He knows the beginning from the end. And however that works, accommodating free will and all that, I don't know. But there are good works that God says, hey, I have this prepared for you, for you to walk in it. Personally, I think, and this is just an opinion, you can throw it away. I think it's why we are the way we are in this sense. What do you love to do? What are you good at? What has he gifted you with? Are you a good listener? Are you a good speaker? Are you an amazing worker? Are you able to mechanically understand things? Are you able to encourage people? You know, my wife, that's, that's really her gift. She's not here, so I can talk about her behind her back. <laughs> Tam like, makes these like ginger snaps and these, these sugar cookie things which is why I am the way I am. And she, but she has this amazing spiritual gift where she like makes miracle coffee and miracle cookies and you sit down with her and you just want to tell her your life. And she just sits there and goes, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then people, they get up and they leave and they go, I'm so refreshed, you helped me so much. And I can watch the whole thing. I'm like, she didn't say anything. What are you talking about? I'm the pastor here. I'm the one that, you know. But she just has this, it's just who she is. God's gifted her to just be so compassionate and caring and just is helpful in that way. But, you know, she's not going to get up and sing worship. It's not her deal. It'd be too scary for her. She'd have a complete freak out about it in the name of Jesus because she's awesome. But, you know, <laughs> the point is you, the prepared works, I don't think is just like he's looked into it. Into, into the future and then made works for you. Maybe that's it. I'm open for that. But I think he's prepared works for you because he designed you a certain way and he gave you certain giftings and he's enabled you to do certain things. And some of those giftings are supernatural and some of them are just natural, the way we think, the way we work. And he's, and he's, he's asking you if you will use the giftings that he, that he has given you for the sake of his kingdom. And the kind of the plot twist is the fact that if you say yes to that, what happens is you live the most fulfilling life you could possibly live, which is really bizarre because our society is, if it feels good, do it. 
our society is if you don't want to do something and you do something, that you're somehow, uh, you're not um, authentic. You're not really doing, you're, you're pretending or something like that. But realistically, one of the best quotes I've ever heard is the fact that there are two liberties. There's a false and there's a true liberty. And the false liberty is the idea that I have, that I have liberty to do whatever I want. And true liberty is that I have liberty to do whatever I should. And so when we're willing to take steps forward and feel weird and, and wonder and take risk, but take steps forward in what God's calling us to do, whatever it might be, he might just be saying, hey, will you sit down with me and have a time with me in the morning where we talk together? And, and, and will you read a little bit? And you might say, I don't even know how to really, I don't even know how to read the Bible. Is there really even a Holy Spirit? I don't even know. But you take a step, you go, hey, you know what? I'm going to ask somebody I think would know. You know. Could you help me figure out how to read the Bible for myself? Will you figure out how to, how to understand it for myself? You see, it's not that you had to be the genius that already knows how to read the Bible. You just had to be the available Christian who said, I'll take a step forward because God is calling me to know him, to relationship. Really a step back to Eden, a fellowship, walking in the garden. And now I'm going to move forward in that, not by being the best at anything, but by simply saying, you know what, Lord, I will search for you in the morning. I will consider you. I'll put the phone away. I'll put the TV away. I'll, I'll put the news away. And I'll just take a minute and I'll search for you. And God's going to bless that. Not because you earned it. And he's like, oh, you were faithful. Now I will bless you for being faithful. That's how we work. No, it's because just being in his presence is a blessing. Yes. Just being near him is a blessing. Now, he does say when we're faithful that he kind of adds to our plate, that he gives us stuff to do when we're faithful. Because, he, he'll, he, like, for example, he says to Abraham, he says, I'm going to tell Abraham what I'm doing because I know he's faithful and I know he'll do whatever I ask him to do. And so there was this, this the intimacy of relationship led to responsibility in the kingdom, if that makes sense. But it wasn't an earned, like, he did good works, then God said, oh, you're my number one pupil. Here's a gold star and some info about me destroying Nineveh, or not Nineveh, but uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. But it was just a simple, again, right back to dialogue with, with Abraham, dialogue with us. So the day in the life of the servant of God is availability. It's being at peace with God. He's going to do what he's going to do, and I just get to be a part of it. And then it's, it's also a day in the servant uh, of God's life is listening to the Holy Spirit, to his promptings. As, as we hear them, if God wants some, you to do something, he's going to tell you. He's not going to withhold it from you and then somehow demand later why you didn't do it. That's unjust. In Micah, to kind of further it, we won't turn there, but I wrote down the quote. In Micah 6, 8, he says this. This is a great Old Testament. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Why is it more encouraging to me anyway, perhaps to you also, that this is an Old Testament quote? Because this particular quote is during the law. 619 Levitical commandments were given. Everything from how to wash a pot, what to do if you have diarrhea, to sexual laws. 619. And yet it boiled down to this. Jesus put it this way, love God and love your neighbor. Right? Micah boils it down to this way. He says, what does God want from you? What does he want from you? What does God want? He wants you to, be, to, to deliver justice. It just means be just. Deal with people equitably. 
Don't rip people off. Don't lie to people. Don't treat people poorly. Do justice. Then he says to love kindness, not just to be kind. This is one of those impossible commandments, like love one another, right? We can feign love. We can do acts of love, which is good, right? If you don't truly desire the, because agape love is, is a moral love. It's not always a feeling, but it's, it's literally to truly desire the best for another person. That's what God's love, if you boiled it all down, that's the idea. Regardless of who you are and what you've done, I want God's best for you. So if we, if we, that's another one of those, it's impossible because that's outside of our experience. Our emotional love and, and these different, and different loves that we experience, we can love someone, but it's easily taintable and it's easily become selfish and all sorts of things. This is another one of those. Notice he doesn't just say be kind, although that's good, and it's good to do a moral act of kindness or love. That's better than not doing it. But he wants us to love kindness, which only comes from where? From him. To love kindness. Our society, have you checked Twitter lately? It loves unkindness. The vast majority of Facebook is unkindness. The vast majority of every news channel, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, is unkindness. The nitpicking and the canceling and the rage. He says, I don't want you to love that. He says, I want you to love kindness to love being kind to people, to be excited, to be like, yes, I get to show these people some mercy. They totally hosed me, but God loves them. God, and I want the best for them. I don't want them to do that to me anymore, but I want the best for them. That only comes from relationship with Christ. That's only the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Only by being changed. So when we get up tomorrow morning as a servant of the Lord, it's not that, okay, today, here comes kindness. I'm just going to try so hard to be kind. It's instead, Lord, here I am. I'm unkind in my natural state. I love me. I'm the one I want to take care of the most. But, Lord, I repent of that. I'm going to walk in the new man. I'm going to love kindness today. Lord, give me a heart for kindness. And then he says to walk humbly before your God. Again, it's the law. This is the law that they live in. The dispensation that these people live in when this was said was the law. And he says, this is what God wants from you. He just wants you to walk humbly with him. God, you're the boss. I think it should be this way. It's not that way. You're the boss. Lord, have mercy on me. You got to read the Psalms, right? Because David talks all the time. He goes, I poured out my complaint before the Lord. Asaph, I poured out my complaint before the Lord. Nobody's saying you can't pour out your complaint. Nobody's saying you can't say, Lord, why is it this way? Help me work through this. Help me understand this. But to humbly say, oh, you're the Lord. You're the Lord. You got to love Peter's, some of Peter's statements, right? No, Lord. How many times does Peter say, no, Lord? It's like an oxymoron. Like, it can't be. You can't say, no, Lord. And so we're, it's part of us is to walk and say, this really hurts, but yes, Lord. See, we're not looking for an ingenuine walk. We're not looking for a fake walk. It's not a stiff upper lip. It's just merely intimate conversation with our God. This really hurts what I'm going through. I'm lonely. I'm scared. I don't know how to deal with my anxiety. I don't know how to deal with my depression. I don't know how to deal with what my landlord is doing to me. I don't know how to deal with what my spouse is doing to me. I don't know how to deal with these things. Lord, help me. I'm not going to rage at you. I'm not going to blame you. There's broken people doing broken things, and I need you 
to work in my heart. Not the opposite of when we break. This is your fault. You should do it different. Don't you know? That gets us nowhere except for a separation of a relationship with the Lord. Lastly, I just want to look at this, this last point here. And so Paul asked them, he says to them, if you, uh, sorry, I'm going to turn back there in Acts chapter 19. He says this, verse 3, And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they believed, speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And again, we'll talk about the, the, the Holy Spirit uh, portion of this and the response uh, next week. But just simply, a day in the life of the servant of God, these servants of God, they were willing to receive what another servant of God had for them. That's not a lead-in so I can tell you something or try to like, uh, you know, be weird about it or something like that. But just the fact that another, this is, again, this is completely, maybe you're noticing a trend here. Like everything Jesus loves, our society pretty much doesn't. And here's another thing where he said, where we see that these servants of God, the disciples who didn't know everything, they were willing to receive from Paul. And because they were willing to receive from Paul and hear what he had to say and be baptized by him, they received the Holy Spirit. I can't, I'm not going to make any concrete statements like they never would have got the Spirit or never this or never that. We have no idea. But because they were willing to listen, and to understand, they end up receiving the whole, getting baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit. So, real brief, the, the, the baptism of John, he makes it clear there. When John was baptizing people before Jesus showed up, he kind of shows, Jesus shows up while he's baptizing uh, at one point. But what he's doing is it was a baptism for repentance. They were coming to him. They were coming to the Jordan. They were kind of confessing what they had done. Remember, remember what John was telling him? He was like, hey, if you're a soldier, don't rip people off. Don't dominate people if you're a soldier. And he, and he goes through and he says, hey, if you're a priest, make sure you're doing your priestly duties. He goes through all these things. And he, just, he says, this is what repentance is. But his main, his main focus was, he says, make straight the paths of the Lord. And we've talked about that. The, the, the most used word, every time you see the word, well, I guess I can't say every time, almost every time you see the word iniquity in the Old Testament, it's the word avon, which is uh, the idea of making something perverse or crooked. And so the Old Testament picture of sin is that when a person has avon, when they, and that's the Hebrew word, avon, when the person has, commits that, it perverts their way. And so you might recall in the Old Testament over and over again, there's a, there's a phrase that's like, I will visit their avon or their iniquity upon them, or, their, or just plain their iniquity, their avon will be upon them. And so the picture that God is putting forward to the Jewish people, it's kind of a poetic uh, picture of sin, is he's saying your corrupt ways, your crookedness, you're building something crooked, and eventually it will collapse on you, and you'll bear the weight or you'll go down the road of your avon. Does that make sense? It's kind of a natural fallout of our sin. If you're rude to everybody, you don't have friends typically, right? Did God do that to you? No, you did that to you, or I did that to me. That's what rudeness does. It isolates and separates. Once again, we see sin destroys. 
So eventually, your alvon is visited upon your head or is upon you. And then when it talks about the Christ, it says that he will bear our alvon. So the, the kind of poetic Jewish picture is that Christ bore our sin. Having said that, when uh, they were repenting, uh, John's baptism, he said, make straight the paths of the Lord. In other words, no more avon, no more crookedness, make straight the paths of the Lord. Make it easy for God to travel to you and you to travel to God was kind of the message that John the Baptist was giving. So that was the baptism that they were going under. It still is the same picture. Oftentimes in the scripture, water symbolizes judgment, the idea and death, probably from Noah's Ark. But the idea was that I've gone into the water and I'm coming out and I'm repenting of my sin. I've gone into death and I'm coming out. And it's very similar. The baptism that we baptize for is a very similar, it's just a public proclamation. It's not just the baptism of repentance, but it's the public proclamation that I was dead in my sin and now I'm alive with Christ. That's, and, and so baptism doesn't save us. It doesn't, you know, it's just an opportunity for, for us to publicly say, I'm with Jesus now and I'm with his people. And so he's telling them, he says, this is what you were baptized in, the baptism of repentance, which is a great baptism, but we are baptizing to say, not only are we, are we repenting, but we acknowledge I was dead without Christ, and now I'm alive with Christ the Messiah. And so then he lays hands on them, and he prays for them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Not to say that they didn't have the Spirit indwelling them before, because all believers do. And we'll talk about that next week, kind of the three ways the Holy Spirit relates to human beings, and there's some uh, words to be uh, kind of researched on that to, to understand it. But to say that they, that they make this public proclamation, the Spirit is then comes upon them, and they begin to be able to do things that they weren't able to do prior. Prophesy, giving an appropriate word in an appropriate time. It could be futuristic. It could be for that very moment. They speak in tongues, which Paul makes very clear uh, there's a whole chapter on the usage of tongues. In this context, it seems to be uh, there was a sign to the Jews that God really had fallen upon them. Um, there's other contexts later on that are used. And so we see that this amazing event happened, and it happened because Paul was willing to take a journey. He was willing to talk to disciples that didn't have everything right. They didn't see things the same way. He's willing to speak to them and to love them. They were willing to hear him. They were willing to get baptized and identify with Christ. And then this amazing thing happens. And they would go on to be part of the kingdom of God and what he's doing. It's, the great thing about Christianity is it's, it's the Lord's. We're the Lord's. The work is the Lord's. The kingdom is the Lord's. We're people saying we want to be part of what you're doing. And he's saying, if you'll do that, I'll do everything you need to be part of what I'm doing. In one sense, we're not a bunch of tryhards. We have, we, we have a, a reverence and a fear for the Lord. As, the, as we're told in Philippians there to work out our own salvation. It's not work for. It's work out our own, uh, our own salvation with fear and trembling. The idea of, oh, I want to be right before the Lord. I want to do what the Lord's called me to do. And so the fear and trembling is that, oh, the Lord's going to smack me. It's, it's like, Lord, you're so great. I just don't want to mess it up, Lord. And we don't, we, don't, we don't have to worry about that. We have to just worry about moving forward, yielding to the Lord, and letting him do great things in our hearts. So we'll end there today, and uh, next week we'll look at the Holy Spirit. But I want to encourage you. God has great things for you. 
doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter how young you are. doesn't matter how old you are. God has great things for you. And really, all he's asking you to do is to say yes, which is hard. <laughs> Nobody's saying it's not hard to say yes to God sometimes, but it's really simple. And so the promise is if you say yes, great things will happen. If you don't say yes, you'll continue in whatever you're in, and it'll be what it'll be. And you'll, yeah, you'll miss out, but God will still love you. <laughs> but we don't want to miss out. We want God's best, so let's pray. Father, thank you for your great kindness to us and for the examples of all these people that went before us that you were faithful to. Lord, you're the faithful one. Lord, you're the father to the fatherless. You're the husband to the husbandless. Lord, you're the one who makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Lord, we can acknowledge, as the scripture says, that every good gift that we have has come from you. Lord, you are exceedingly kind and exceedingly merciful. And Lord, we're thankful. Probably not as thankful as we should be. I'm not anyway, but we're thankful. And Lord, we just, we praise you for being so good to us. Lord, I pray for us as we go out of this place that your Holy Spirit would be upon us and that we would be willing and ready and available uh, for your work. Lord, that, that we would see you open our eyes to see the value of the human beings that are around us. Lord, you'd open our eyes to see the value of the people you've put in our lives and, and how much you love them. And we ask, Lord, that you be exalted in our hearts and our lives. And Lord, if, in, if there's things that we're doing that we ought not, I pray that you would speak to us, lead us. Even as David said that your hand, when I, when I uh, did not confess my iniquity, your hand was heavy upon me. My bones dried up like a potsherd. And I pray by your mercy that where we are, uh, ignoring you, that our bones would dry up, that our lives would dry up, and that we would see the true reality of who you are, and we'd see your glory. Lord, thank you for your kindness. We appreciate it. Pray for your blessings as we go out this week, and that you would do great things, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys.